I'm Richard Poplack. This is Diana Neal. If you wouldn't mind stating your full name and giving us your consent to appear on this podcast. I am Nokwanda Ngombane, and I do give consent. My late husband, Nobi Ngombane, was born here in Bloemfontein. He was asked to take the role of the interim leadership core of the ANC in year 2000. And his brief was to unify the ANC in the Free State. We've come to Bloemfontein, the sleepiest city in the free world, to speak with Nokwanda Ongombane about a tragedy that ripped her family apart back in 2005. It was barely covered by the national media at the time, and when it was, it was only part of a shoddy cover-up campaign. But it marked a change in the trajectory of the ANC, from divisions into factions and into something far, far more sinister. It's March 2022, and we're sitting across from Nakwanda in her modest tiled living room. Thank you for inviting us into your home. She sits on the couch wearing white, her head shaved close to the scalp, a slight yet somehow powerful figure. I met Nabi as a starry-eyed 18-year-old. <laughs> she begins at the beginning, when she met her husband, Nobby Mgombane, in a different universe, in a different time. At UWC in 1989, she worked extensively with the mass democratic movement structures in the Western Cape. He had experienced abject poverty. He told me about the growling stomach and how to quieten a growling stomach. I don't know how that feels like. I come from rural areas and a sheltered background. So I got into this heightened sense of political awareness and activism. At that time, there was hope because we believed that we could literally get people like him who didn't stand a chance to come up. In almost every way, Nobby and Nokwanda Ngombane were the epitome of idealism in the early 1990s as the country prepared for democracy. Educated, passionate political activists who were prepared to dedicate their lives to efficient, servant leadership. After several decades building experience as a political science researcher, including a stint in Sweden, in 1998, Nobby, along with Nokwanda, settled in Bloemfontein permanently. Nobby became the advisor to the premier at the time, Ivy Matsepe Kasaburi. They returned to a province mired in political contestation. At that time, there was a huge tussle. The division between the so-called North and the South magnified. That was the rise of Isma Khashule. The story of Nakwanda and Nobi and Gombane, which should have been the story of committed activists returning home to help build a country, became something else, a life-shattering event one that cemented devastating factionalism in the democratic rubric and set the scene for what the Free State would eventually become. The fiefdom of a mafia boss. Daily Maverick presents The Highwaymen, a limited podcast series written and directed by Richard Poplack and Diana Neal and produced with support from the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. The content may not necessarily reflect the foundation's views or opinions. This is episode four out in their coats. The leadership which will come into the ANC must be a leadership which is going to focus on radical economic transformation. There is white monopoly capital. So as one black who owns the means of production will expropriate the land without compensation 
where it was taken unlawfully. What is wrong with that? That's Ace Machishule, former premier of the Free State, recently suspended secretary general of the ANC, doing his best Ace Machishule impression. We say impression because very little about Machishule is real. His mythology is partly invented. Almost every moment in his career comes with a big fat asterisk. Like Zwilliam Kize, we must ask, who is Ace Machishule? And as always, it's impossible to answer that question without understanding where he comes from. We've driven deep into Bloemfontein's sleepy suburbs, past old metal jungle gym swing sets from a bygone era, painted bright pink, and heaps of dumped garbage. We're meeting a controversial former member of Provincial Parliament and the National Assembly, and a Free State ANC stalwart. My name is Pat Zanemvula Matosa. I was born in the southern Free State town of Ruvel, in the farms. Matosa comes off like a gentle uncle these days, but he's best known for two things diving headfirst into Free State ANC political warfare almost from the second he was released from Robben Island in the early 90s, and later for pulling the trigger of an unloaded gun at the temple of an Afrikaans cop three times during a traffic stop in 1996. These days, he's retired from all that Steven Seagal stuff. We meet in his chilly living room. Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine is playing silently on a flat-screen TV, while Matosa grumbles about NATO. The conversation quickly turns to a different battle, closer to home. So after 1990 and burning of the ANC, I was formally elected into the full-time regional secretary of the ANC of the Northern Free State, when there were still 14 regions, before they were consolidated in nine provinces. From that time until now, the ANC in the province has been unstable and divided. Famously, when the Orange Free State became the Free State post-apartheid, the consolidation of the province kicked off a confrontation that rivals anything in the history of the ANC. We thought after 1994, for what we fought for, things will be better not for us that fought for it, but for our children. But we are still at the same position. Essentially, this was driven by a split in the United Democratic Front that predated the end of apartheid. In the Free State, there were two regions. The Southern Free State headquartered in Bloemfontein and the Northern Free State headquartered in Welcome. So it was never, ever, ever, ever a nice political atmosphere. It was open hostility. People were not talking to each other. Those who are seen to be identifying with me were then hated. Not only shallow differences, it was hatred in its deepest sense. So it was always two groups staring each other in the eyes. Given them an opportunity, people would have mad at each other. Well, a scenario like this of deep political instability right at the dawn of democracy, mm. I suppose that left a huge amount of opportunity for men and women who were looking to bank off the contracts in the state and to feed off the chaos that was swirling around in the free state at the time. Yeah, those, those divisions in the party inevitably went to parliament. So it, it was quite a painful process for the ANC. Honestly, it was so difficult. And no one understands this better than our colleague, Daily Maverick Scorpio investigative journalist Peter Louis Mayberg, who has created a cottage industry around the major figure to emerge from this mess. His book, Gangster State, 
Unraveling Ace Machashula's Web of Capture is required reading in South Africa. Ace Machashula, I think, really fits the mold of the, the classic struggle era ANC slash UDF figure. So he grew up in a little town called Tumahole, the township outside of Paris in the Free State. Machashule, you know, was gradually incorporated into a couple of these anti-apartheid organizations. There's the Congress of South African Students, the Tumahole Civics Organization. At quite a young age, he was politically active. But Ais Machashule has a very interesting history in the, the broader struggle environment. Interesting would be one way of putting it. Two things are certain. Mahashule was born in 1959. In his later life, he would take that advice to heart. Mahashule was a student at Behelang Secondary School in Tumaole when the unrest of 1976 broke out. His guide through this period was Fezi Dabi, a political activist who was three years Mahashule's senior. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, he established the Tumaole Students' Organization, or TSO, which tapped into Steve Biko's black consciousness movement for its ideological inspiration. We believe that in our country there shall be no minority, there shall be no majority, there shall just be people. The TSO staged plays with strong political messages and hosted symposiums which highlighted the social evils of their community. Akashule appeared in some of these plays, and he was, by all accounts, a theatre nerd, this landed him in the crosshairs of the apartheid authorities, who were famously not fans of resistance performance art. Next came university. So he studied in Fort Hare University for a couple of years in the 80s. He would have been very much part of the, the struggle environment. But this is a, a time that, that Mahashule later on used to, to really embellish and exaggerate his kind of role in the, the struggle era. The, the former homeland of Siskei, where Fort Hare was located, their president, Sebe, had a couple of run-ins with very rowdy students at Fort Hare, including Ais Mahashule and his grouping, who were obviously opposed to the Sebe government. And at one point in time, you know, there, there was quite a violent uprising, and Mahashule was arrested that day and charged with public disturbance. And so essentially, it's a slap on the wrist. But Ais Mahashule used that entire sort of narrative to build this very big mythology around him. He said he was charged for treason and they had tried to assassinate President Sebet, which is totally at odds with not only the court records and the reporting on all of those developments, but also, you know, some of the, the very people who were with him during that time. I think he knew quite early on that these lofty struggle labels would, would earn you quite a lot of power in the movement. In the ANC, as freedom approached, the most important currency was, and remains, struggle credentials. Who did more? Who suffered more? Who was more influential with the men and women at the top? Already, for a desperately poor kid from the middle of the Orange Free State, it was becoming clear that the ANC was one of the very few routes to upward mobility. And so Mahashule began to dissemble, to add little details to his story that, to this day, can't be verified. But very real, life-distorting pain lay ahead. From 1984, many towns in the Orange Free State, particularly Bloemfontein, Parais and Valcom, experienced the worst civil unrest since the Soweto uprising of 1976. Mahashule was arrested in 1985 under Section 29 of the Internal Security Act. Section 29 was designed to be hell on earth. Detainees were held for the purposes of intensive interrogation in solitary confinement without access to lawyers, family, friends, or anyone else other than the bad guys who wanted to hurt them. 
Mahashule was held for around seven months. He would later say, quote, I can assure you that Section 29 is serious torture. You know, I wanted to commit suicide after that. I was completely and emotionally destroyed. Pat Matosa suffered a similar fate. That's one of the laws that only few managed to go through Section 29. And those who went through that process, some of them are mentally disturbed. It stands to reason that Section 29 split Machashula's life in two unequal and brutal halves, before and after, which is exactly where the story starts to get misty. Nobody's really certain exactly where he was at any given point of the struggle. If, if you speak to people in the, the struggle environment, people who, who have quite a, a strong and solid footing and a struggle history, even those kind of individuals are uncertain what Ace really got up to. And that is because at one point he was actually absent from the Free State's on-the-ground UDF activities when him and a couple of Paray's comrades ended up living in Hillbrow for quite a couple of years. And this is where the Ace story really gets interesting. Hillbrow during the state of emergency was designated by the regime a grey area or a mixed-race living area, was a realm unlike any other during apartheid. It was a place to disappear. If there was anywhere in the country to hide in plain sight, it was amongst the junkies, hookers, bohemians and gangsters of Johannesburg's freakiest hood. This marked the start of Machashule's time in internal exile in Johannesburg, which would last from mid-1986 to 1989. So they kind of hold up in this apartment in Hillbrow. This is in the late 80s. And there's monies being channeled to them from the struggle environment. Nobody's really sure what the money is being used for. And then a very interesting uh, development then occurs in the late 80s. There's a moment where this issue of the supposed misappropriation of funds does come to a head. There were questions about funds that went to the Mahashule grouping and what it was actually used for and whether it was actually spent on legitimate struggle activities. The apartheid state's security branch was a constant, roving menace, and the heat was getting serious. Mahashula was part of a group of activists who fled to Zambia in October 1989. He had left his family behind, but took along with him a woman named Adelaide. The group was allowed to stay in Chris Harney's house in Osaka, and Mahashula took pride in the fact that he rubbed shoulders with such giants. But one of his fellow exiles from the Hillbrow unit recalls that Harney was not a fan. Look, he said, Ace is a ladies' man. He likes to always have women with him. So during that time, apart from having Adelaide with him, he was also bringing other women to Harney's house. This landed Mahashula's crew in trouble with Harney and the rest of the ANC's top brass. They said we were putting the house at risk by bringing strange women there. So we were kicked out. Followed South African President F.W. de Klerk in consultation with Mandela announced the repeal of the nationwide state of emergency, the unbanning of political opposition, and the opening of public accommodations to all races. After apartheid, it was time for Mahashula to emerge from the demimonde and find his way back to the Free State. And this is where he connected up with Pat Matosa. The thing about Ace, even in those early days, is that while he was not a particularly well-known figure, he came out of a struggle cell in Hillbrow, where he had engendered a lot of suspicion amongst people for having stolen funds that were intended for struggle purposes. 
Were those rumors swirling around as early as that? Or did you not hear anything about ACE? By that time, time, I was still in prison in Robben Island. But when we came out, there was this concept or term that was used, internal exiles. General people say the insiles. Now, the greatest component of that were people from Paris, broadly speaking, under the leadership and the command of ACE. Tumahole and the neighboring areas were too small for the special branch to sniff him out. So the best jungle became Johannesburg. If Zwilliam Kieser was the highly educated, technocratic and aristocratic exile, Mahashule was part of the ANC that mostly stayed within South Africa during apartheid. Members in cell positions adhered to the Umkonto Wesizwe military code, which stipulated that every commander, commissar, instructor and combatant must be clearly acquainted with the policy with regard to all combat tasks and missions. But this was easier on paper than in practice. The underground networks established during the brutality of the late 1980s were exactly that, underground. Many of these cells endured through the transition to democracy. Not all their activities were licit. And although the Free State was mired in contestation, Mahashule plugged in relatively seamlessly. I started to interact with ACE in 1991 or 92, when ACE was elected for the first time the regional chairman of the ANC Northern Free State. We worked so good with ACE, honestly. In those early years, there, there was no problem, honestly. The situation was changing quickly, however, and a few years later, battle lines were hardening. In 1998, Nobby and Nokwanda Ngombane returned to the province from their stint in Sweden. They got the lay of the land pretty quickly. The person who was leading the ANC at the time was Tabompegi. It was closely monitored by the department. Suddenly there was south-north, south-north tussle. And the north seemed to be getting some kind of momentum. Somehow, the South people retreated, if I could put it like that. They were so defeated. They were outplayed. They didn't understand the, the game. That was the rise of Isma Khashule. Pat Matosa was quickly learning a similar lesson, the very hard way. Over the course of the 1990s, Mahashule changed. He hardened and leaned into the local factionalism. I can remember one incident in the instability of the province of the Free State. The national leadership did its best in terms of dozing off the fires of divisions. I remember one day, Madiba, when he was already president of the country, he called us to, to Cape Town. All of them were the senior leaders of the NC National Working Committee and the national office bearers. They were all there. Then, one by one, we're told to speak our minds and how to resolve the problem in the free state. Then Ace came to speak. You know, old man Madiba, he was shaking with anger and said in that meeting, You are a factionalist. We're trying to resolve problems of the organization. And here you are. You are a factionalist. Madiba packed his bags. He left the meeting and said, Comrade Tavo, I can't stay in a meeting like this. Madiba left that meeting. Well, first of all, your Madiba impression is very, very good. (laughs) Uh, Second of all, that gives a sense of how much distaste there was by Madiba, and I suppose that transferred onto Mbeki in, 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 in later years. As with many people, Mahashula and Matosa began to drift 
then they did more than just drift. I became isolated, I'm telling you, in a provincial executive committee of 25 members. You find you are alone. Whole 24, they don't talk to you. But outside the formal structure, I was still this uh, respected kind of a human being across the province. I was at the center of building the structures of ANC, directing the recruitment of members, dealing with political education and all those things now. It will not be easy for anyone to just destroy and isolate me. How was ACE able to shore up enough power to completely exclude you from these leadership caucuses? Uh, one thing, ACE is a workaholic, an organizer, a mobilizer. He can address 10 meetings in a day. You know, the man does not sleep. Besides that capability and capacity, then it was a question of the art of managing power. Because he always said to me, once you have power, pets, don't play with power. Once you lose it, you lose it forever. Be able to use power to a particular purpose. As Mahashula shored up his power, he became chair of the province and he chaired the deployment committee meaning that he was the guy who handed out the jobs. The generous euphemism for this practice is cadre deployment. The ANC has perfected it, but few were better than Mahashule. He's having a large network of very wealthy businessmen and women. Newspapers, I don't know whether it has changed now, but we're not still with him in politics. Sunday newspapers, Ace was not reading your first page headlines was reading the adverts. Every job opportunity that you find in the free state, Ace will be the first one to know and he's phoning people. Then he's opening job opportunities for people. And ordinarily, people will come to say thank you to him because I got the job through you. Mahashula had earned a new nickname, Mr. 10%, after his custom of taking one-tenth of all provincial contracts for himself. The free state was slowly becoming his province, but there were one or two obstacles in front of him. At that time, there was this move to mute that which did not fit into the ANC way of thinking. And I feel that was a very big mistake. And the second big mistake was when Nobi was killed, the first thing the ANC said was there was not a political killing when in fact it was a political killing. And now here we are with the African National Congress having normalized Nobi's death, having decided to find a nice scapegoat. Maybe they thought I was a naive person from the rural trans guy. And I would sit and cry and go to prison and life would go on. So that was an onset, as far as I am concerned, of giving a blank check that anything and everything here in this land of the ANC government is permissible. Next, we see how Ace Machashule came to own an entire province and reset the ANC brand in his own image. The 
The High Women is written, produced and directed by Richard Poplack and Diana Neal, with editing and sound design by Bernard Kutzer, Diana Neal and Tevia Turok-Shapiro. The original soundtrack is written by Bernard Kutzer and Janis van der Merwe. Our deputy editor is Gillian Green. Our project manager is Catherine Kutzer. And our marketing lead is Sarah Kortman. Fact-checking and editorial oversight by Sasha Whale-Smith with transcriptions provided by Gloria Cooper. Additional voiceover by Ayanda Charlie. Our editor-in-chief is Branko Brickich and our executive producer is Silly Gerlambus. Production of The Highwaymen was made possible with support from the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. The content may not necessarily reflect the foundation's views or opinions. For additional archive and music credits, please visit Daily Maverick. New episodes of The Highwaymen drop weekly on IONO, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to them on the Daily Maverick website. If you found this installment interesting, illuminating, or perhaps even a little life-changing, please consider leaving a review or sharing on social media.